boggles our mind in America, doesn't it? Because like you pointed out, we, we recognize that there are certain people that are just Sunday morning attenders and just going to come and sit in a pew for a few hours. And sometimes, unfortunately, many of them are members, not just attenders. Uh, but, but God's desire is not that they would stay in that position, that they would be compacted and that they would be uh, functioning in their God-given functions as well. Welcome to this episode of General Order 4. On today's episode, we're going to begin part one of a lesson on discipling people to function in the local church. Hello and welcome to this episode of General Order 4. Uh, On today's episode, I'm joined as always by Pastor Brian Stewart, and uh, we are going to begin discussing today how God equips his church to function in the world. And so, uh, Pastor Stewart, if you you would, uh, just kind of say hello to everybody and then uh, go ahead and read from Ephesians chapter number 4, and uh, we're just going to read starting in verse number 11 and uh, read down through verse 16, and we'll get right into it. Well, good morning. Uh, We are experiencing a lot of rain here today, so I had to wade (laughs) myself into the office, but uh, it's good to be with you and looking forward to what the Lord is going to uh, reveal to us and to you this this day. Trust that His Spirit will illuminate your hearts and minds to these truths in a new and fresh way, or at least put you in remembrance of what you already learned. In Ephesians chapter 4, that's the passage we're going to look at today. Again, if you have your Bible, we encourage you to look at it. If you don't, that's fine. We'll read it out loud for you so you can follow along with us. If you follow along in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11, he says this, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which he is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working, in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. In this passage, we're noticing a wonderful uh, description of how God has gifted the church to function. And there are several things that um, that we want to go through in this passage, and we'll work, actually, we're going to work through them backwards. We're going to start with um, the end there. And what is the purpose of us even speaking about this subject as it pertains to discipleship? Um, if God has given the church certain people, and those people, uh, he, has, he has given abilities so that they can function within the church, then in discipleship, uh, what we are we are trying to do is essentially find those people and unlock them and unleash them to work within the church. And what does that look like? What does it look like when the believers that are in the church are functioning the way that God intended them to function? Uh, the result of that is what we find in verse 16. He says, from whom 
the whole body, those, those gifted individuals from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And I think if we deconstruct the verse... We're looking at uh, a description of a church that is unified, that is uh, working together as one whole, and that is accomplishing uh, the intended purpose that it has been given in the world. Uh, it, it, you can see that by the way that that Paul, as he's writing to this uh, church at Ephesus, is uh, the words that he uses to describe the church. So he says, uh, in several different locations, he says, the whole body fitly joined together compacted. Uh, and then he says, which every joint su- joint supplieth. Yes. And then he says, um, working in the measure of every part and making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself. And that turn that the phrase there unto the edifying of itself in love, I think really is, is what we are getting at here because God gave the church all of these things that we're going to get to in just a minute, but God gave the people that are in the church that like, he gave them to that church for a very specific purpose. They are in that church so that they, as a part of that church can edify that church, uh, the edifying of itself. And I think we know this uh, in, in our minds, in our heads, we know this, but in, in our actions, we don't tend to, to play this out. I feel like a lot of time in the church, because we've got all of these people and we've got a few of them that do everything. And then a few of them that do nothing, which is not God's design at all. I think if we can take a moment and, and really even zoom the focus out a little further, uh, as we've talked about in previous episodes, we've talked about the fact that God his plan, if we will continue to re, just remind ourselves that God has this whole thing figured out. We mm-hmm. we many times are trying to look at all the intricate parts and we're coming in and, and obviously his understanding is higher than ours and, and his ways yeah. are higher than ours. And so we're trying to, as you said, kind of reconstruct or deconstruct from our, from our limited understanding. But God has this whole thing figured out. And the beauty of this is that Every believer is important. And and we pointed out in the previous episodes that, that God, through discipleship, emphasizes that every believer should have the opportunity to grow and mature into him. But notice in the mm-hmm. verse 16 here, again, as you pointed out, it's the whole body that he's concerned about. He's not concerned about just the pastors or just the staff. Mm-hmm. He's not concerned about just the deacons and those that are in leadership. He's concerned about every believer that is willing to be taught and grow and mature in him. And so we have this wonderful picture in verse 16 of a body that is functioning in love towards itself. It is continuing to grow and mature. And so it's growing in size in in that sense of maturity, but it's also growing in maturity within itself. And Mm -hmm. where is the source of all of this growth? It's an internal uh, growth that comes from what this body having the gifts and the and the uh, functions that God has provided for it and everybody functioning within their proper function. Yeah, and I think we 
I think we also sometimes we we think of it almost cutely, like yes, everybody's everybody's important, everybody matters, and everybody deserves the gospel. And we have this kind of cute idea about it, and we say things like that. And I think we mean them when we say them, but we don't mean them when we say them. And when it comes down to it, we don't really believe that every member really has a place. <clears throat> Some people are just there to be statistics. That's not true, but that's what we think sometimes. And that's not what Paul's saying at all. He literally in this verse is saying that every part is there to help every other part. And that if any of those parts are missing, then then every one of those parts is missing something. So if every member matters, it really does matter, then we're all better off if every member is functioning properly. Yes, we need to remember that the picture he's drawing for us here is the picture of a body. And so mm-hmm. if one arm, which would be many different members, it would be an elbow, a fingers, a hand, a wrist, uh, all the ligaments, all the veins, all of those things, if that arm just decided that it wasn't going to function as it was intended to, can be a very detrimental thing to a body because that mm-hmm. arm is not what? It's not contributed, it's not compacted, it's not supplying any help or aid to the rest of the body. It'd be hard to scratch mm-hmm. your, your back in certain areas if one arm decided it right. wasn't gonna function and listen to what the brain was telling it to do. And so we have this wonderful picture of every member, every measure, and that boggles our mind in America, doesn't it? Because like you pointed mm-hmm. out, we, we recognize that there are certain people that are just Sunday morning attenders and just going to come and sit in the pew for a few hours. And sometimes, unfortunately, many of them are members, not just attenders. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but God's desire is not that they would stay in that position, that they would be compacted and that they would be uh, functioning in their God-given functions as well. And so let's continue with our Uh, Looking at this, and if we look at verse 15, we notice he takes the theme that he ends with in verse 16, and he continues with it and tells us a little bit more of how. Now, how do we do this? How do we get everybody compacted? Well, we must speak the truth in love, and then he gives us the reasons so that we can grow up into him in all things. Jesus clearly identified himself as the way, the truth, and the life, and so speaking the truth is speaking about Christ and that he is the head, and we need to grow up into him. And so, again, he's the standard. He's the unifying one that we we unify around. It's our faithfulness in Christ that's important. Mm-hmm. And what are we doing in discipleship? We're, we're supposed to be doing just that, speaking the truth to people and doing it in a loving fashion. Um, if we are using uh, only the pulpit ministry or only street preaching or only uh, <clears throat> a Sunday school class, uh, we may not be able to speak the truth in love all the time. We're able to speak the truth, um, but speaking the truth in love is a little harder in a public setting than it can be often in a private setting. Yes. Uh, for instance, if I am dealing with a person who is saved, and but they've come out of a, uh, let's just say they've come out of a homosexual lifestyle, how am I going to address that from the pulpit? It's a lot harder to address that from the pulpit in a way that is speaking the truth in love. It's not impossible, but it's a lot harder. Whereas if I'm face to face with that person, I can look them square in the eye and say, hey, listen, Jesus loves you. 
And this is the truth that God's word teaches. And this, you know, let's work through this. Let's figure out how we're going to deal with that truth in our own lives. And it's a, you can do that in a much more loving fashion, uh, speaking the truth in love. And that, so that's what we're getting at, really. In, in discipleship, we have the ability to do this, um, that you may not necessarily have at least to have an e- as easy of a time doing in, in a more public setting. Sure. And the reason we're speaking the truth is not to uh, elevate us or make us feel important. Notice he says there, it's so that we may grow up into him. And so it's so that mm-hmm. this person can have the same advantage and the same uh, privileges that come from being in Christ as we do. Mm-hmm. And the only reason we're there is because somebody else spoke the truth and love to us. Right. So that we could experience that as well. So it's there is no hierarchy of persons here. We're not recognizing that one person is more important than the other. It's really recognizing that every individual is important mm-hmm. in it, God's eyes. And if we hit reverse again and we back up one more verse, it says, till we all come in the unity of faith. So the, the object, again, is that the whole body is working in unison, uh, the unity of faith. And the knowledge, that's the truth, the knowledge of the Son of God. So we're... we're or right along the same things we've been talking about. And he says, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So is he talking about the individual becoming a perfect man? Uh, well, he's not really talking about the individual here as much as he's talking about the group. He says, unto the perfect man, unto the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. That applies in two ways. One, it does apply to the individual saying, hey, listen, the truth and the unity is going to make you a more perfect individual. Um, but he's talking about one body here, right? The bride of Christ. This is the one body that is going to uh, be, that is the bride of Christ. And so that bride is to be presented to Christ perfectly in all, in all of her parts. So when we've come in the unity of faith and in the knowledge of the son of God, all of us as individual parts, yes, all of us individual parts have become more perfect, but we are working in unity as one body and we can be presented to Christ as that perfect bride under the measure and stature, the fullness of Christ. And so again, it, it, it runs along the same lines as we're deconstructing it backwards here. Uh, but it all runs along the same line it's, you have the same verbiage used throughout these verses, the unity of faith, the knowledge of the son of God, or, or, or basically unity and truth. And notice in verse 14, what that produces, it produces stability and it produces an ability mm-hmm. to not be deceived. He goes in and says in verse 14 that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Mm-hmm. There are people out there that are trying to deceive and deception is uh, a situation where what? you On the surface you believe that this is better than what the truth is. Right. And that's why he says in the, in the verse we just talked about in verse 15, we're to speak the truth in love uh-huh. uh, because love conquers uh, all. It also helps us to what? It helps us to grow up. And so we use see here that he's talking about what the, the people who get tossed to and from are the ones who have a lot of ignorance of the truth and an ignorance of the knowledge of the Son of God and not ignorance and stupidity, but ignorance in the lack of understanding and truth and knowledge. And that's why it's incumbent upon the church mm-hmm. and the believers in the church and those that have the different uh, responsibilities and, and uh, functions within that church to function in the areas that God has called us to so that we can help those that are children to not be tossed to and fro 
so that they too can be matured into that stature of the fullness of Christ. And that astounds me every time I hear that, that God wants us to be measuring up to the stature of the fullness of Christ. He doesn't, he doesn't want us just to have part of Christ. He doesn't want just some of Christ to be in us. He wants us to, to be just like his son, Jesus Christ. And that is amazing. That just speaks to his grace and his mercy to us. I think everybody knows to everybody knows somebody that is almost a ridiculous embodiment of verse 14, where it talks about being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Um, you know, my, my wife and I, we, I have somebody in mind right now that my wife and I have talked about a few times where it's like, a, you know, they're that person that sends you, uh, an article every so many years saying Christ's coming back on this date or, you know, um, that, that this person might be the antichrist or whatever, because they, they have no, no grounding in truth. Um, so they, the, anything that they see by anybody posted anywhere that sounds biblical, uh, becomes the gospel truth to them. Um, and because they have no grounding and they have no, no sure foundation on what they believe founded in scripture. And obviously that's exactly what we're trying to avoid in the church and in discipleship as well. And, and that when we give people the knowledge, the unity of faith, that knowledge of the son of God, that's something, that's something that's strong, that's not going to be moved. Um, then you don't have that problem. And that's why he's saying that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. I can tell <clears throat> my, my daughter has a really, we have a really good friend um, that my daughter refers to as her uncle and uh, uncle Daniel. And uh, so sh- he came over to the house and him and his wife uh, babysat our kids uh, recently. And uh, he was telling her that the moon was made of cheese <laughs> and she, she did not believe it thankfully, but she to this day is convinced that he thinks the moon is made of cheese. <laughs> Um, what's the, what was he trying to do though? He was trying to tease her, but tell her something that was obviously not true because children often believe things uh, at face value. And Paul's saying, we don't need to be children and just believe everything that we hear because we've been grounded in that knowledge of the son of God. But also you're a part of a church that when you, you find something that contradicts that church, you're in a unity of faith. So you can go to that church or that disciple or somebody in that church would be like, Hey, listen, what does this and get grounding for what that belief, whatever that, whatever that topic may be, because that church is a, is unity in faith. It has that unity in faith and the knowledge of the son of God. So, you know, when you do have somebody who may be a bit younger in their faith, they have a grounded united church that they can go to and no longer are they blown about by every wind of doctrine. Yeah. The good points, the, Really, the unifying factor here we see is what? It's our knowledge. And how do we get knowledge? It's through teaching. And so as we are taught the same things, what does that produce? It produces a unity and an understanding of the knowledge of the Son of God and that unity of mm-hmm. faith that we're actually believing the same things, not because of one person other than the person of Christ. And so this is what Christ taught we are being taught these same things together. And as the Holy Spirit confirms these teachings in the hearts of each believer, it produces a unity in a church that is impossible to attain any other way. And we many times in churches like to try and gain unity around certain uh, social activities, or we have 
uh, unity around personalities or we have unity around a certain uh, geographic location. We have unity in a lot of different areas and we try and produce unity in a lot of different ways. And really there's just one way that God has prescribed for us to have this unity and it's in our faith Mm -hmm. and our knowledge of Jesus Christ until we all mature into him. And that's what the beauty of his plan of discipling, leading people to the Lord, seeing them baptized and part of the local church, and then helping them to grow and understand and know what he's taught us so that he can teach it to them through us just showing them and teaching them what we've been taught so that they can observe it as well. And yeah, and if we if we even back up here now to verses 11 and 12, uh, in verse 12, he says uh, that he's given these for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So there are these five different groups that are performing essentially four different functions within the church. And those four functions were given to the church for three reasons. One, for the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry, what's the work of the ministry? That is to preach the word. When I mean, we've talked about what ministry is, that is the, the 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 pressing forth of the word of God and the teaching of the word of God. So for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ, uh, that is for the building up and the strengthening of that body that we've been talking about all this time. So those are the three reasons for these four functions. Now, here's the, here's the four functions. In verse 11, it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. He, he groups the pastors and teachers together. Now, why am I calling these functions and not offices? Here's why. The first and obvious one is that in the very end of that verse, it says pastors, plural. And we know all throughout the New Testament that the Bible makes it very clear there is one pastor. Now, I'm not talking about if you call your your church uh, your associate pastor, if you call him pastor so-and-so. That's not what I'm talking about. But there is one person in the local New Testament church who is the pastor. And that's the person um, that God gives the authority of pastor to. We're not talking about that because it uses it in the plural. So the, the Apostle Paul is obviously not writing about the office of the pastor, but rather the function of the pastor. The other of which, uh, you know, we could have a lengthy debate on, but we're not going to right now. Um, and that is that the use of the word apostle, uh, which in our era, we uh, no longer believe that the, the office of apostle is still functional, but the uh, but the function of apostle is still uh, available to us. So, uh, Pastor Stewart, if you want to deconstruct that again, uh, if you want to start at the bottom of verse 11 and work backwards, and we'll start with pastors and teachers, what, biblically speaking, is the function of a pastor and teacher? Well, the function of a pastor is to shepherd uh, as a steward or a servant of the master shepherd. And so shepherding requires what? It means we're going to take oversight of this individual or individuals and we're going to make sure that their needs are met. And obviously we're speaking in a spiritual realm here. So what are their spiritual needs? Well, if they're a babe in Christ, if I'm going to shepherd that babe in Christ, then I need to help them to what? Grow in unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. How do I do that? By discipling them, teaching them the the fundamental truths as we have outlined in previous episodes of there's an intentional way to do that. And so pastoring is a shepherding process and teaching 
is that instruction, giving that knowledge and instruction in a way that can be observed and understood. So the pastors and teachers, these are any believer who has been really discipled, as we, as I would, you know, call it or see it, that they've been equipped at some level to help another believer in their spiritual walk. And so we see pastors and teachers here. This would be anybody that's fulfilling the function of a teacher and discipling another believer, helping to perfect that saint in the Word of God. Right. And so we wouldn't. We were not. We're not calling this a spiritual gift. This is a function that that person is fulfilling. So, um, in in the way, because we've previously discussed how it is our belief, and you can go back and look at several different episodes that we've talked about this, but um, it is our belief on a solid and sure foundation of Scripture that every believer's job is to teach other other people the things that they've been taught according to the Great Commission. So, uh, every believer uh, who has been properly discipled themselves can then, t- in turn, fulfill this uh, function of a pastor and teacher. Again, they're not fulfilling the office of the pastor, uh, but they are functioning, according to this verse, as a pastor and teacher, um, like you've described, where they're teaching the truths of God's word to somebody else. Yes, and, and really, I mean, if we could put it in these terms, we're looking at the uh, what is God's ideal process? What is his ideal plan to accomplish this? And that is that I, as a believer who's going to fulfill the Great Commission, will then do that in the life of the individuals that I have the privilege of introducing to Christ. And so if I right. do that and lead that person to Christ, and then I teach them to observe whatsoever God's commanded me to do, then that person now is equip- being equipped to what? To be one of those joints that is supplying to the need of the body as a whole. It's, imp- right. it's increasing the body as we just saw, and so now they are equipped, being equipped to be a pastor uh, in the sense of a shepherd, somebody that's going to shepherd the life of another person in the Word of God and shepherd their growth and maturity, just like God mm-hmm. called me to do that. He has called that next generation to do that, just like he calls the next generation. And so these pastors and teachers are just simply obedient people to the Great Commission that they have received the truth, and they are now willing to pass that on and shepherd and teach that mm-hmm. to the next generation. Yeah, and if we back up the list, so that's pastors and teachers. If we back up the list, <clears throat> the next thing we find is the word evangelists. Evangelists. Now, if you look at that word um, in the Greek and you find the definition of that word evangelist, you find one who preaches the gospel. That is all that that word is used to describe. Now, there is no office of evangelist found in Scripture. Um, but this is a person that Paul is saying is given to the church. So this is a person who preaches the gospel. Um, I would even go so far as to say preaches the gospel faithfully. Um, but this person, it would be someone that we would consider, uh, you know, many churches have a person in that, that, that everybody just generally knows is, is the soul winner, essentially not the only soul winner, but someone who is known in the church as someone who's actively going after people. Uh, that's an evangelist, but also any new believer who's just gotten saved is really in a prime position to fulfill this position because when you first get saved, that is when you are most connected to lost people because you just came out of that world. 
you just came out of that old world into the new world. And so you still have a lot of connections to that old world. Now, are you supposed to leverage those connections and go to the bar with them? Obviously not. But um, you have an opportunity to be an evangelist to those people in a way that you may not 10 years from now because you won't have those relationships as strong as you have them currently. So um, everyone at the point of salvation has the opportunity to begin fulfilling the function of an evangelist. An evangelist really is just somebody who's going to preach the gospel to what? Everybody they come in contact with. Now, obviously, we're going to have people that don't want to hear it, but we need to be ready and equipped and, and willing and to boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel as it has transformed our life. So now we want to share that with the others. And so evangelist here is somebody that God gives to the church who has received the truth and is willing to supply that joint for what that mm-hmm. to every joint so that what there's increase in the body and so this is just a simple function but a very valuable function that really every believer ought to be an evangelist every believer ought to be equipped and functioning as a pastor not the pastor but a pastor a shepherd of, of others uh, that they have had the privilege of sharing the gospel with and then teaching them to observe what God's commanded them to do. And I think it's worth noting, too, that none of the other functions work without this one. Correct. Correct. If there are no new people because no one's sharing the gospel, then there is nobody to pastor and teach. Correct. <laughs> so without, without, that, without that essential function, nothing else works. And then as we function in the evangelist role and we, we've, we learn to function as the pastor and the teacher on the individual level, discipling on the individual level, what happens, we continue to be taught and equipped to the point where we can be trained to where we can preach the gospel. If we're a man, we can preach the gospel uh, in a public setting. And as we do that, then we learn to function in the role of prophet, who simply is one who faithfully preaches or boldly preaches the word of God. And I think of Stephen as one of those who, although he held the office of deacon, he didn't always hold the office of deacon, and before he held that office, he was trained in understanding the scriptures, and he was able to preach uh, mightily and boldly the truth of God's word as God has declared it to us. Right. And even if you look at the Old Testament, that word prophet doesn't always mean someone who sees the future or, or tells the future. Um you know, uh, Samuel had a school of prophets. What did those guys do? They didn't run around the country telling the future. Uh, they just preached the word of God as it was delivered by the Holy Spirit. So um, that's what that word means in this context, especially. But really throughout all of Scripture, that word prophet simply means one that proclaims the truth as it's given to them by the Holy Spirit. And uh, if you're going to set up, if you're going to stand up and preach in a public setting, I hope that what you're preaching has been given to you from the word of God and by the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you're not, then you might as well sit down. But that's what that word is saying. This is much more of an exclusive group. This isn't going to be everybody. Uh, Not everybody is going to be able to stand up. Like like you said earlier, obviously, um, it's clear from Scripture that this person ought to be a man. Mm -hmm. Um, But there might be somebody like this that speaks only to women. And and maybe you can find that fitting in that that position. Um, But the word prophet is clearly talking about someone who's speaking publicly the word of God. And uh, so this is probably going to be a man, uh, but also this is going to be somebody who is already fulfilling the functions of pastor, teacher, and evangelist. If they're not fulfilling those two spots, then God's not going to put them up in front of everybody, you know? Um, so it's important that we, that we recognize those things. 
But what a wonderful blessing when you do have men that are trained in, in handling the Word of God to the point where they can mm-hmm. preach. Uh, because what a blessing to the body, because then you're not having just one man doing all the preaching. Uh, you get the, the personality, you get the different life experiences that God has allowed, and you have right. a different perspective on things. And so uh, what a blessing to, to have a plan to train men Within the own within the body as God designed it, where did He design for this training to happen? It was in the body, each part, each member supplying to every joint what is necessary for the body to function. And a church can't function forever or for very long with just one man. We've seen churches that there is just mm-hmm. one preacher, one pastor at that church, and that man works faithfully for years and years and years. But if nobody else is raised up, if nobody else is trained and taught, what happens eventually is that generation dies off. Mm -hmm. And when that generation and that man either dies off or has by health reasons or whatever reasons can't continue, many times that fails to go forward or there's a huge transition that is not always positive and there's a lot of problems that come in. And God's design was what? That the body continues without interruption, without disruption, and that there is this unity of faith and this unity of purpose, and it is all focused around the person of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So the prophets are those men in the church that are equipped in handling the Word of God that can fill in the pulpit and can preach on a regular basis, and these are valuable, uh, very necessary function within the church that we we see that God provides for here in this passage. Right. And then if we back up one more step and it says, and he gave some apostles, I think that word apostles may be the easiest one for us to describe um, because that word apostle just simply means a sent one and sent where? Well, sent out of the body. Um, And that person is fulfilling all of these functions. He's fulfilling the function of a prophet, preaching and teaching the word. Uh, he is fulfilling the function of evangelist. He's out there winning souls. He's fulfilling the function of a pastor and teacher in teaching those people that he wins. This is a missionary, essentially, uh, what we would modern modernly defined as a missionary. Uh, <clears throat> since we don't believe in the fun- in the uh, uh, the um, office of an apostle, I think we often shrink away from this word. Um, because it can be misused and has been misused in the past and apostolic succession and all that kind of stuff. I won't get into that, but what this word means is just one who is sent out. So one who is sent out of the local church, we can find clearly defined in Scripture, uh, like the Apostle Paul, like Barnabas, um, were sent out of the church at Antioch. They were apostles functioning as apostles. Now, the Apostle Paul also held the office of apostle, uh, but Barnabas did not. And he functioned as an apostle. So um, that would be somebody like me going to the other side of the world to start churches, preach the gospel, evangelize, and teach people uh, that that with a function of an apostle. Obviously, I'm not holding the office of the apostle, um, but I am functioning as an apostle. So we use the word missionary, which today can be used for a lot of different uh, responsibilities, let's say. But when we say missionary, and, and I believe what the scriptures talks about when we use that word defined as a missionary, we're talking about a very specific role, and that is somebody who's sent out to start churches mm-hmm. with the goal of what? You start a church by what? Evangelizing, by going out and winning people to the Lord. Then you pastor them and teach them, 
And then if you, as you have a group that is assembled that can be, uh, that are now believers in Jesus Christ, now you have a group that you now establish a local church because every believer needs a what? A local church mm-hmm. to be able to grow and mature. And so every everyone that would be sent out as far as the New Testament is concerned is sent out with the purpose of what? Establishing local churches by what? By evangelizing the lost then uh, baptizing them, then teaching them to observe what God's commanded them, and establishing these local churches. And so we have a wonderful precedent with the uh, with Paul and others, Barnabas and others, as has been noted. And so here the apostle, again, is not an office, but it is a, resp- a function. And we function as an apostle when we are what? When we are matured to that point where we can go out and reproduce mm-hmm. what has been done in us, and uh, we have been functioning in that role uh, in the local church. And then God is the one who separates us out and calls those apostles who are to go out and function as a church planter in different areas. And they need to be able to obviously function in all of these roles so that they can teach and train the church that God's calling them to start so they can fulfill those roles as well. Right. And if we take a full circle and we go back down to verse 16, what is the purpose of having apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers? If one church has all of those things and is continuing to produce all of those things, then we get a body that is fitly joined together. We get a body that is compacted by that which every joint supplieth because every member is doing Amen. something, functioning in some way uh, in one of these in these five, uh, four functions in, in, in five terms here. Uh, but, and they're working according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. Every part is being worked in and every part is working out. Um, and they're making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. In other words, that body is growing. Because that body is edifying itself. Every member is having a portion of that. So uh, just a quick, just a real quick to recap, evangelists and apostles, or excuse me, evangelists and pastors and teachers are something that every single believer in the church can function as. And every single believer in the church should eventually function as. Evangelists you can get into right away. Uh, pastors and teachers is something that you get into once you yourself have been pastored and taught, right? Or you've been discipled yourself. You then can take the truth that you've been taught and instruct it into other people, those people whom you have been able to evangelize. Then God calls out certain people to function as prophets and apostles. Now, do am I saying that you have to have uh, had the bolt of lightning moment where you've been struck and decided, you know, this is what God wants me to do. I'm now a preacher. No, uh, my dad effectively functioned as a, a, a prophet, although he never had a call to preach necessarily. Um, he was a deacon in the church and the pastor would on occasion have him preach in church or in another church somewhere if they if they needed somebody to come fill in for them or, or whatever. He had that function because he had already been properly taught and then taught how to preach as well. Um, and then God also calls some out as, as apostles. Those are people who are specifically called out according to what we find in the New Testament, the book of Acts. So, uh, But all of those functions exist for the purpose of making that body as a whole perfect to be able to present as a bride uh, to Christ in one body that is fitly joined together. 
on next week's episode, we're going to dive uh, dive into that a little bit. How do we develop those different functions within our church through discipleship? And so we'll look at that next week. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to us uh, by email at generalorder4 at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R, generalorder4 at gmail.com. Or you can reach us on Twitter at generalorder4 for the number four. So at general order for the number four. Uh, if you have any questions, or comments, please reach out to us, like, share, subscribe. There's a way to like and share in almost every podcast medium. Uh, please share it with people. Uh, we would, we would love for this content to get to as many people as possible. Uh, we don't receive any kind of revenue. We don't have ads on this podcast, so we're not making money off this thing, but we would like to have, uh, the truth that we've been taught instilled in as many people as possible. So please feel free to share this with as many people as you can. And, uh, uh thank you again for listening so much. We appreciate it. And, uh, we'll get the chance to speak to you again next week. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of General Order 4. Join us next week as we finish our discussion on discipling people to function in the local church. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email at generalorder4 at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R. Or on Twitter at generalorder4. Please like, share, and subscribe.